This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. The book of James, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of James, uh, chapter number two. If you haven't noticed, we are blazing through the book of James. I tell you, we're already in chapter number two. That's big, right? Uh, And so uh, chapter number two, there's only uh, four chapters in the whole book of James. So uh, technically, does that mean that we're 25% of our way through this series? No, (laughs) it doesn't mean that at all. And so uh, there's not really any measure of uh, how we're going to get it done, but we'll get it done. I promise you that. And so uh, strap in. The book of James is so good because it's, uh, it's practical. Uh, again, when it comes to the book of James, it was probably one of the first books of the New Testament that was written chronologically speaking. And so it would have been one of the first books that was ever written. And so by this point, new Christians that have been saved on the day of Pentecost, they've been scattered from Jerusalem. They don't really know what to do. All they have is the Old Testament scriptures and the testament of Jesus Christ and the stories of Jesus Christ. But they don't really know that they haven't had the opportunity to read the book of Romans because it hasn't been written yet. They haven't read First and Second Corinthians because it hasn't been written yet. Uh, they haven't read Galatians and uh, to, to be warned against legalism because it hasn't been written yet. And so James, the half-brother of Christ, kind of picks up the mantle and basically says, Hey guys, I'm just going to give you some guidelines for being Christians. The book of James does not uh, carry with it a lot of doctrine in there that we would refer back to that kind of shapes and codifies our beliefs as Christians. It's just a lot of practical information on how Christians live. And so for that reason, sometimes it's being called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And the fact that James is just a ridiculously applicable uh, book of the Bible. And so that's why I love going through it. So much good stuff. James chapter 2 is where we find ourselves tonight. We're going to be taking a look at verses uh, 1 through, uh, let's see, let's go uh, verses 1 through 4, because I don't want to bite off more than I can chew tonight. Uh, James chapter 2, starting in verse number 1, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. The way it's worded in the King James here is a little bit confusing, because it almost sounds like he's saying, hey, don't have faith like Jesus, but that's the opposite of what he's saying. He's saying, have faith like Jesus, which does not respect persons. And so the wording and the phraseology sounds a little bit strange, but what he's saying here is don't have the type of faith that respects persons, but instead have the type of faith that Christ has. Verse number two, for if the man come to your assembly with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there also come one man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. And the gay there does not mean effeminate or anything like that. It means the happy, bright, uh, celebratory type of clothing. And say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? When we take a look at this passage, I'll title tonight's message, Partiality and Prejudice. Because James gives us some really good guidelines on how people should be treated. And let me just tell you this, all the doctrinal uh, foundation that you have in the world, all the Bible verses that you have memorized, you can be gun barrel straight on your doctrine. But if you don't treat people well, you're not living like Jesus. And so some people believe that, that good Bible doctrine is kind of an either or. Like we can either treat people like Jesus or we can have good Bible doctrine, but we can't have both. That's the most foolish thing I've ever heard in my entire life. We're called to hold fast to good doctrine and at the same time love people like Jesus Christ. James chapter 1 makes it really clear for us that Jesus Christ was full of grace, but he's also full of truth. And so when you look at that, it's not Jesus was 50% grace and 50% truth. He was full of grace and truth. He was 100% grace and he was 100% truth. You say, well, that adds up to 200%. I know, but I was never good at math. So, but the idea here is this, that Jesus embodies grace and truth. And if you and I will live like Christ, we will also embody grace and truth. And so that's why James starts off here and say, hey, don't have partiality towards people. Don't prejudge people because when you do, you're not living like Jesus Christ. 
And so when the, the Bible speaks of the phrase, you might see it in the Bible, respecter of persons or respect of persons. The idea behind that, and we see it here in verse number uh, two, uh, I'm sorry, verse number one, with respect to persons, he's speaking of the idea of partiality. I'm going to treat this guy one way, and I'm going to treat this guy over here a different way based on the things that I see, the things that I hear, or the things that I perceive. And the Bible says that we should not be respecter of persons because God is not a respecter of persons. What's really the root, though, of you and I being partial to people? Because all of us have some sense of partiality. All of us have some idea in our mind of how people should act or how people should behave themselves or what types of uh, ways that people should represent themselves. What's the root of that, really? The root of partiality can be found in the fear of man and of pride. Here's the idea. I'm so concerned about what other people think of me that I want to act a certain way, talk a certain way, behave in a certain manner. Because I'm so concerned with what other people think of me. I also want to make sure that I treat people in a certain way because I'm concerned about what other people think of me as well. Most of us guys have seen another guy that is just talking like a regular guy and once his wife comes around, he starts acting all hard and starts bossing her around and, woman, why don't you go get me something to eat? Woman, why don't you get me something to drink? And if you look at that and you're like, what are you doing, man? But that, the idea is he's trying to put on a, a tough guy macho show for everybody because he wants to gain the approval that everybody thinks he's a real man. Hey, let me just tell you this. Any Christian man is not impressed with that type of behavior. I'm impressed with a guy that honors and cherishes his wife. That impresses me. When a guy can pull out a chair for his wife or open the door for his wife or rub her on her back during church and things like that, that impresses me. I'm not impressed by what the world is impressed by. I want to be impressed by the things that God is impressed by. By the same token, pride causes us to view people in a different respect in the fact that I think I'm better than them. I think I'm smarter than them. I think that they are beneath me in some way or another. And I've seen this attitude so many times in different places where people think that because someone works a certain type of job, they should be treated in a certain way, either negatively or positively. That, oh, people that work at the drive-thru at Panda Express, they don't deserve my respect because they're working for minimum wage at a, a food service job. Let me just tell you, friend, if that's your outlook on life, you should repent of your sin of pride and you should, should start to live like Jesus. Now, let me just tell you this. If you're part of this church and you treat people that way, you're an embarrassment to our church and you're an embarrassment to the name of Christ. Amen. That's good. Thank you one here's the here's the fact of the matter jesus didn't treat people like that we shouldn't either and james is saying hey we make decisions on how we treat people sometimes based on the type of clothing that they're wearing and here's the thing when we treat people based on the fear of man or pride or being impressed by worldly standards i'm going to say something you need to latch on to this when we judge people by worldly standards, we do not value the things that God values. I'll say that again. When we treat people by worldly standards, we do not value the things that God values. Do you think that God values what type of job somebody works, how much money they earn per year? Do you think God values the type of car that someone drives or what type of neighborhood they live in? Do you think that God values what school they went to, what college they went to, what type of degree that they have? God doesn't value any of those things. Do you know what God values? God values love for him. God values love for others. God values character integrity, honesty, Christ-likeness, love for others, kindness, compassion. Those are the things that God values. But I'm going to show respect to some guy because he drives a $100,000 car. That's not the type of judging that God has called us to do. And James says, hey, look, if you judge people based on material things, you're 100% off base. And so you and I must value the things that God values I think one of the things that is absolutely wrecking our nation is a resurgence of racism. 
Man, I, re- I remember back when I was going to high school in the 90s and things like that, there was a, a big push to try to get everybody back on the same page and people to see things uh, colorblind and to treat people based on the value of their character, not the color of their skin. And it seemed like we were riding a pretty good thing for a while. And it seems like in probably, I don't know, the last five to 10 years, race has become polarizing in our nation again when it should have never been to begin with. And the worst part is that I see Christians jumping on this bandwagon. And in, in from both ends of the spectrum, one end of the spectrum, hey, look, I grew up in the South. I, I'll, I'll be very transparent. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Kentucky. I grew up in an all-white county. I never held a conversation with a person who was not 100% Caucasian until I, I went to boot camp in the Navy, 18 years old. No lie. First time I ever had a conversation with someone who wasn't white. Now, I'd gone to, to other uh, cities and stuff like that, interacted with people in a retail environment and stuff like that and, and things along those lines, but I never actually ha- held a conversation. And so let me just tell you, there's a lot of ignorance and foolishness and sinfulness that, that causes racism. I, I've heard preachers preach before, again, when I was younger, that the Bible says that every, God created every animal after its own kind and that humans should stay with their own kind. And again, people say, amen, that's good. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're not going to use the Bible to esteem racism, that's for sure. The Bible condemns it wholeheartedly. And so again, we're not going to allow race to cause any type of division in Jesus' church ever under any circumstances whatsoever. And if you've got a racist bone in your body, you should repent before God for it and embrace the gospel who says that Jesus died for everyone. And if you think you're better than somebody because of the color of your skin or the neighborhood you grew up in or the country that you hail from, please understand you have greatly misunderstood the gospel. So, that being said, here's the worst part about it. It still continues to exist in churches today. I've been on the receiving end of phone calls where people ask, Hey, Pastor, I just wanted to give you a heads up. We're thinking about visiting this weekend to your church. We're new in town, but we don't know if we'll be welcome there. <laughs> well, everybody's welcome at who we call a Baptist church. And you say, do you really mean everyone? I really mean everyone. And they said, well, we've been in churches before where they said that, but it wasn't really the case. And I said, man, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, is there anything that I should know about that would cause you to say something like that? You know, I didn't know if the guy, you know, needs to ride a unicycle inside the church building and something like, I don't know. You know, I identify as a clown and I need to come in clown makeup and that's why, you know, we're not welcome in churches. I don't know what he was going to say, but here's what he said. Broke my heart. I'm white and my wife is black and our kids are mixed. Is that okay? And I, I, I sat there for a minute and my heart hurt. And like I got choked up and I said, I'm so sorry that you have to even call a church and ask that question. Of course you're welcome here. I'm embarrassed that you would even have to ask a question like that. But guess what? Churches like that still exist today. But then we go to the opposite end of the spectrum where churches say that Jesus died for racial equality. That the mission of the church is to bring about racial equality in America. (laughs) Yeah, that's not why Jesus died. Jesus died to save us from our sinful condition, which also includes racism along with the whole kitchen sink of other sins that we struggle with, for sure. But, again, the idea that anyone would be superior to another is just an anti-biblical idea through and through. You see, God's character of justice requires that he be impartial. Again, when it comes to even uh, the judicial system that we have, judges will have to recuse themselves if they have any partiality towards a person that's in the court. Because one of the expectations that we have for the judicial system is that they would be impartial. Because that's what justice is. Justice doesn't say, we've got a set of laws for these folks over here and rules that they follow. This group of folks over here don't have to follow the same rules. That's not justice. And I think that's one of the things that causes frustration in any uh, American who believes in the justice system, that it should work the way that it's designed, is when we see certain people that the law is not necessarily applied to or it's uh, not applied to as heavily. And we have another group over here where where the law is applied too harsh. Again, because it's based on partiality. 
And again, our cry for justice would say, that's not right. Everyone should be held to the standard that's set, regardless of who they are, where they come from, or how much money they have. So God being just, that's one of the characteristics or, or uh, attributes of God is his justice. Everything that he does is right in every way. His judgment that he proclaims is right all the time. And he is 100% impartial. Impartial. You don't get a special pass because you're this, that, or the other. God doesn't care how much money you have. God doesn't care who your parents were. Sometimes in talking with folks, I say, hey, if you died today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? They say, oh, man, 100% sure. How do you know? Well, my grandfather was a Baptist preacher, pastored for 60 years, same church. Well, God bless Grandpa. What about you? Well, that's got to count for something. Count for Grandpa if he was saved. It counts nothing whatsoever for you. God doesn't look at you and go, oh, you come from a really good family, so I'm going to be impartial towards you. Or partial towards you. There we go. That's what I was looking for. God doesn't give you a pass based on who you are or where you come from because that's, that wouldn't negate his justice. God is just. And that's why the gospel requires a blood payment for your sin because God has to be impartial. God can't say, it's okay, don't worry about it. We'll just let it slide. God doesn't, here's the thing when it comes to God's justice. I have a long list of charges against me that I am guilty for. Because God is just, he cannot dismiss my case. Because that wouldn't be justice. Can you imagine a judge that every single case he saw, he threw out automatically? I'm just going to throw that out. I'm just going to dismiss that. I'm going to let you off. Make sure you don't do it again. You'd sit there and you go, wait a minute, this is not justice. This is a mockery of justice. So by the same token, God cannot take our laundry list of offenses against him and just automatically dismiss them outright. They must be paid for. And either you can pay for them or somebody else can. But the requirement, if somebody else pays, they have to be completely free and clear before God and can know, oh God, nothing as well. That's why I couldn't pay for your sin if I wanted to. The payment is either comes from you, your blood, or the blood of someone who is sinless and owes God nothing, and the only person that is is Jesus. And Jesus came, died on the cross to pay for our sins, that anyone that would come to him in faith and repentance could be saved or born again. And now my account is paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God now declares me righteous. Bible word for that, justification. The righteousness of Christ is placed upon me, my sin placed upon Jesus Christ, and paid for in full. And so when it comes to God's justice, God doesn't just dismiss it like it never happened. No, it has to be paid for to be forgiven. And Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. That's the idea. So God's, God's requirement for justice means that he cannot be partial to one person or another. And again, partiality is at odds with the gospel. We don't go after certain people to be saved. We share the gospel with anybody that will listen. It's a very popular book by, uh, I, I hate to put him in the, the category of false teacher, but he's basically in the category of false teacher. Rick Warren wrote a book, man, probably two decades ago called The Purpose Driven Church. And the idea was that you moved into a neighborhood, you did a demographic survey of your neighborhood, and you figured out what demographic you wanted to target. And his demographic that he targeted, targeted was called Saddleback Sam. And Saddleback Sam was a guy in his, you know, 30s to 40s with a, a high-paying job and, uh, you know, was in upper management or a C-level position. He made X amount of dollars a year. And they were really going to focus their church so it met the needs of Saddleback Sam. Let me just tell you, that is precisely what James is talking about here. We don't do stuff like that. You don't get the, the guys that are the rich ones in the neighborhood and get them to come to the church and then tell all the poor people they need to stand over to the side. That's exactly what James says don't do. The gospel is for everyone. Man, woman, boy, girl, 
We sing Jesus loves the little children of the world. You know why? Because Jesus loves everybody, and partiality is at odds with the true gospel. You see, the call to Jesus is open to everybody. Mark chapter 8, verse number 34, Jesus says, when he called the people unto himself with his disciples also, he saith unto them, here's what Jesus said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Hey, you want to follow me? Bring it. Anybody. Here's the requirements. Death to self and be willing to follow me wherever I say go. Well, who can do that? Anybody that wants to. You see, the call to follow Jesus is open to anybody. The call to self-sacrifice is open to anybody. Mark chapter 8, verse number 35, the next verse, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Whosoever would be willing to lay down their life, they'll really find what life is all about. Those that are willing to sacrifice self, they'll find out what life is really like, guaranteed. Whosoever, whosoever would be willing to lose his life shall find it. Whoever. Again, the call to follow Jesus, the call to salvation, the call to self-sacrifice, it's open to everybody. Jesus, if you, if you read the Gospels, you find that Jesus didn't go looking for the richest guys in town to buddy up with. He spent time with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners for the purpose of bringing them to himself and again i want to make a really clear distinction didn't jesus didn't hang out with prostitutes tax collectors and sinners because those were his crew he hung out with them because they needed to be brought to the savior he was drawing them to himself so many times i hear carnal christians go well it's okay to hang out with my guys that smoke weed on the weekends and i only get a little bit high but jesus hung out with sinners too (laughs) no that's not an excuse to surround yourself with sinners for your own entertainment purposes. Jesus spent time with sinners because he called them to himself. Jesus' call to greatness through service is open to all. You want to be made great? Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter what your family life you grew up with. Doesn't matter what neighborhood you came from. Doesn't matter how much money you got in your, your checking account. You want to be great in the eyes of God? You want to aspire to greatness? Good, become a servant. Whosoever will be the chiefest among you will be the servant of everybody. You see, America is the land of opportunity, but but just to be honest, certain parts of it are still rigged. (laughs) You know, like, how many of you when you were kids, your parents told you, like, if you can do anything that you want to do, if you want to be the president of the United States, you can do it. How many parents told you that? My, my parents did. My hands up with you. How many of you still actually believe it? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Reality check. The whole system's rigged against you. You got to have ridiculous money, ridiculous influence. You got to have people doing really shady stuff on your behalf to even get a look, right? And the, the whole system's rigged. And so, look, you'll never be president of the United States of America. You won't. And if you are, I'll pray at your inauguration ceremony. How about that, right? And I'll say. Lord, you did the impossible in this case here. (laughs) I'll do it. I promise you I will. I'll do that for you. So you say, well, I'm limited now because I don't have extra. No, no, no. You want to be great in the eyes of God, begin serving other people. Anybody can do that. doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, how much money that you have, how much experience you have, anything, because God's not partial in who he chooses to raise up and make great. And you want to be made great, become a servant. You see, the call to eternal life is open to all. Revelation chapter 22, the Bible closes with these words, and the spirit and the bride say, come, let him that heareth come. Let him that hath thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Hey, anybody can come to Jesus. The gospel's open to everybody. Doesn't matter who you are, where you came from. But here's the worst part about it. Again, even if the opportunity to hear the gospel is bent in certain people's favor. Look, I I grew up in Kentucky. The the town that I grew up in, there's probably 4,000 people in in my town that I grew up in. There's probably 125 Baptist churches in my hometown for 4,000 people. 
And like, look, you, you would have a hard time with those 4,000 people finding someone that either didn't attend church or didn't used to attend church somewhere. Like the, the number of people who've never heard the gospel or that Jesus died for sinners is very, very few. I remember sitting in a Waffle House in um, Raleigh, uh, North Carolina with some friends and we were sitting there and our waitress came by and if you've never been in a Waffle House, you're missing out on one of the great parts of America. Like you, you, I don't even know if you're really an American until you've had a Waffle House at two o'clock in the morning. Um, it's just, it's like a rite of passage, uh, and so as an American, and so for those of you who haven't, the next time you're on the mainland, find a Waffle House, take your picture, send it to me, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll high-five you the next time I see you. But we're in a Waffle House, and, and our waitress is coming by, you know, and, and again, waitresses at 2 a.m. in the Waffle House generally reek of cigarette smoke, uh, but again, it just comes with the, the experience. It's part of it, right? And so... In my, in my pocket, I pull out and hand to our waitress a gospel tract. I said, hey, this is the most important thing you'll ever read in your entire life. This tells you how you can know when you die, you're on your way to heaven. And she goes, sugar, I got that taken care of. And I said, how do you know? And she said, because I've been saved, born again, and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Okay. Like, uh, mind you, I'm coming from California out there to Raleigh, North Carolina, where people like, like, well, you know, in the Garden of Eden, they're like, where is that at? Is that like in L.A., Pasadena? It's like, the, no, the Garden of Eden? Like, Adam and Eve? They're like, who's that? It's just like, what? And to go to somewhere where the, the waitress at the Waffle House gives you a solid gospel salvation testimony just blows your mind. But here's the worst news that you'll ever hear in your entire life. 50 percent of the world's population has never heard the gospel a single solitary time once and yet we sit and hear the gospel sometimes by accident that 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 hurts my heart and so you think to yourself like wow what a crazy statistic Maybe we should do more for missions, and I agree with that. We will, and next month we're going to have a missions emphasis. Two weeks in a row we're going to focus on missions here at our church. It's been a minute since we did it. We're going to get back to it. And we should focus on missions. I wonder where those 50% of, of people who've never heard the gospel are. Well, you don't have to go on a mission trip to find them. They live across the street. They live within 25 feet of a gospel-preaching church, and they've never heard the gospel one time. I just want to tell you, I'm embarrassed by that. And you say, well, what are we going to do about it? We're going to continue to do what we do. We're going to continue to find people and bring them to Jesus because that's the heart of the gospel. I had the opportunity two years ago to preach in Malaysia, a, Mo a Muslim country. And people were so hungry for the gospel there. And you think to yourself like, oh yeah, I want to go to a place where people are hungry for the gospel. Guess what? You live in a city where people are hungry for the gospel. Well, I haven't found them. How many have you told? One of the best news I've ever heard in my life is, hey, pastor, we've got some extra pizza. Would you like some? I didn't know that I wanted pizza, but now I really want pizza, right? Same idea. Hey, you might not have ever heard about Jesus, but I know that you want him. Let me share. And people are like, wow, I want that. I remember I went through the gospel with Tommy Peralta. He's one of the first people that ever got saved here at Huikala. He and I are sat here on the front row this morning. And as we went through the gospel, I mean, dude, just jaw like open like, we get to the end of the gospel, and they said, Tommy, is there any reason in the world you can think of why you wouldn't want to accept Christ as Savior? Like, you want to get saved today? And he was like, absolutely. Yeah. And he goes, wait, does anybody ever say no at this part? And I go, all the time, man. And he goes, whoa, that is crazy. How could anybody turn this down? Like, hello? Like, this is like as good as it gets. I know, Tommy, I know. He was just like, I got to tell people this. He was like, does Iris know this? Yeah, that's why you're here, Tommy. Because <laughs> Iris knows. What? So here's a guy who's been to church before. Here's the gospel, and it just blows his hair back. Like, oh, my goodness. Hungry people you're going to run into this week that want to hear the gospel. And again, we don't need to look for the guy that I think this person would be a good fit for our church because they have X, Y, or Z job, or I believe this person would be a good fit for our church based on their demographic, or they get to know a lot of people in our church because they're this or that. No, we need to find sinners and bring them to Jesus. Don't care who they are, what they look like. Find sinners and get the gospel to them. 
Again, God is 100% against partiality because God is gracious to everybody. God's gracious to all. There's no one that God's not willing to extend his grace to. There's nobody that's so far gone that the grace of God cannot reach them. God's grace is freely available to everybody. And so again, when we look at this idea of being partial, it's a completely anti-God, anti-Christ idea. Nobody's favored in God's eyes based on their wealth. That's the idea of this passage here, is that, hey, you see a guy come in, and he's wearing fancy clothes, he's got a gold ring on his finger. Don't think that he's somebody, because God's not impressed with wealth. There's a handful of people that Jesus was impressed by in his lifetime. Very few. I think there's one case where Jesus was astonished. It was the centurion who says, my servant's sick. And Jesus says, okay, I'll stop by. He goes, well, you don't have to stop by. I'm under authority, and I know that you are as well. All you have to do is say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, hey, guys, wait a minute. Jesus was astonished because he had never found faith like this in all of Israel. Astonished. There was another time where Jesus basically told everybody to stop and pay attention. Doesn't use the word that he was astonished, but he basically calls everybody, hey, guys, stop. Stop what you're doing right here. I want you to look and see. And it was the widow who came to give her offering. Everybody was coming by, throwing loud coins in the offering basket. Everybody's coming by, making huge prayers and holding their offerings up in the air, throwing lots of money around. And the widow came and she had a mite, which is less than a penny. We would have in our, our currency less than a penny. And she came and she put it in the offering. And Jesus says, hold up, guys. Did you see what happened? This woman here has given more than everyone. Because she gave everything that she had. So this now completely broke woman. (laughs) She had a little bit before she gave her offering. Now she has nothing. Totally broke. Jesus was impressed by that. Jesus wasn't impressed with the Pharisees and their fancy clothes. Wasn't impressed by long prayers. Wasn't impressed by fake spirituality. He was impressed by sacrifice. Even speaking of Jesus Christ, Nathaniel speaking to his brother, and Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Philip is here, and he said, I think we found the Messiah. His brother goes, Out of Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Hey, come and see. I think you'll be surprised. So God's not impressed by wealth. Nobody is favored based on their status. One of the things that I'm thankful for here at Hui Collin, this might sound strange to you, but I'm kind of thankful that we don't have a parking lot here. I know it's frustrating to try to find parking or maybe park in a parking garage somewhere and walk a block and stuff like that. I get it. But here's the thing. Uh, just about everybody that's here tonight, I, can, I know who you are. I know your salvation testimony. I know the names of your kids. I know the schools that your kids go to. I know most of their birthdays, I know most of your birthdays, but the majority of people, if you give me a spreadsheet of everybody in the church and said, write down what type of car these people drive, I have absolutely no clue. No, I really don't. You know why? I love, and I love that because I'm not impressed with what kind of car you're driving. Nobody in the, in the church is either. I, re- I remember as a kid standing in the parking lot with, with my dad and somebody drive up in a new Cadillac. It's like, ooh, did you see that? That's impressive. We don't have that here. Whatever you drive, I hope you honor the Lord with it because God's not impressed and frankly, I don't even know what you drive because God's not impressed with people's status. Sometimes I'll ask people in the matter of conversation, what kind of work do you do or how'd you get to the island and things like that, but it's not because like, I'm like, oh, I'm not impressed by you because you know, you're a XYZ, you work at the bank or you work at here. So I'm not impressed by any of that because God's not either. I think it's fun as a matter of conversation. You know, we have guys in our church that are pilots. I want to connect them up with other pilots and guys who are, you know, army infantry guys who like to shoot and blow stuff up. I want to get them together so they can shoot and blow stuff up together and stuff, you know. Put together our security ministry with the 
tough dudes that like to shoot and blow stuff up. I love it. And let me just tell you this. If the zombie apocalypse ever comes, we're 100% covered. Just know that, right? We got, we got pilots in our church. We got EMTs. We got doctors. Uh, we got attorneys in case the, the, the zombies like get, have a good legal team or something like that. <laughs> we got pilots for evac. We got helicopter pilots. We got airline pilots. I mean, we got it, we got it covered, right? But here's the thing. Frankly, I think it's fun to think about how God brings so many different diverse people to our church. But frankly, I'm not impressed by any of that. Here's the thing. We got a lot of moms in our church that homeschool their kids. I'm ultra impressed by that because I tried it once. It was terrible. (laughs) I'm impressed by that. And here's the thing that hurts my heart sometimes in talking with folks is just like, uh, you know, do you work outside of your home? Because working in your home is a valid profession for sure. Oh, no, I'm just a homeschool mom. It's just like, what? I'm ultra impressed by that. I'm not impressed by much. Because here's the thing. We don't value the same things that, that the world values. I don't value what type of uniform you wear or what you wear on your collar. I'm not impressed by that. You know what impresses me? Moms who are willing to sacrifice for the well-being of their children to teach them God's ways because they feel obligated by God to train up their children in a way that they should go. I'm impressed by that because God's impressed by that. But we don't value status. We're not impressed by titles. The Bible says, uh, the, uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse number 9, Jesus is going to the highways, speaking about the wedding feast. You remember the story, the parable? They had a wedding. They invited a bunch of people on the A-list, and nobody came. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you find, bid them to the marriage. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And you say, oh, that's a cute story. It's a parable. It's a story with a spiritual meaning. Do you know what the wedding is? It's heaven. And guess what? The people who got the first A-level invites rejected. They didn't want it. And you go, oh my goodness, who were they? The Jews. He came into his own, his own received him not. Jesus came to be the Messiah to the Jews, and they didn't want him. And so the Lord of the feast says to the servants, the slaves, go out and find everybody that you can, whether it be good or bad, I don't care, and bring them to the wedding. And as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. So just play this out with me. The wedding is heaven, The master of the wedding is God the Father. Hmm. I wonder who the servants would be. Who do you think that would be? Who's the servants? Us. You and I. And we're supposed to go where? Highways and hedges. And do what? Find people and bring them to the feast. Bring them to the wedding. Bring them to the master. Well, what type of people should we look for? People that have really nice wedding clothes? No. Anybody that'll come. Whether they be bad or good. Especially if they're bad. So again, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to God, his plans, partiality doesn't even hit his radar. He's not impressed with status, money, wealth, anything like that. Now again, this is different partiality, superiority is different than, say, for example, showing honor to someone. For example, the Bible commands us to show honor to other people and respecting people and be kind to people. Look, when somebody walks in the front door of who we call a Baptist church, they should immediately feel loved, wanted, accepted, and cared for here. Because if they can't find it in Jesus' church, we are doing something seriously wrong. But we're not showing partiality to somebody, like, Oh, I saw that person come in. I'm not talking to them. No. We show honor to everybody. The Bible even commands that, that pastors be shown double honor. And again, that's not a matter of I'm better than you or I'm somebody special or anything like that. It's just a biblical command. And so again, it's not that I'm better than you. It's not that I'm superior to you. It's just that the office of the pastor, according to the Bible, is a really big deal according to God. Okay, it doesn't mean I'm a big deal. I'm not. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. And I don't expect any special treatment. 
I don't have somebody pull around my car. I don't have a separate exit that I go through, so I don't have to talk to anybody. If you saw my office, you would be greatly unimpressed with my office. <laughs> because God's not impressed with status, titles, nobody's favor based on their own righteousness. God's not attracted to you because you're so good. If anything, God is repulsed by your sin, but he chooses to be gracious and love you anyhow. So again, the idea that we earn favor or we, we get God's attention because we're so well behaved, you're missing the point. Now, does that mean that God doesn't expect righteousness? No, he does. But he expects righteousness is a way to glorify him, not glorify self. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 10, it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Jesus spent time with sinners. He didn't give credence to only the religious folks of the day. Anybody that was searching for truth could find it. While he sat with publicans and sinners, he also sat with high religious leaders as well. John chapter 3, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was so high up that he was embarrassed to come during the daytime that people might see him talking to Jesus. So he came at nighttime. And Jesus says, you're, you think you're a teacher of the scriptures, but you don't even know the first thing about being born again. Nobody's favored based on their ethnicity. Some people have errantly thought that Jews automatically get a free pass to heaven. Jews have rejected Christ as Messiah. For Jews that have rejected Christ as Messiah, they'll face judgment like any other sinner. Well, I thought they were God's people. God continues to favor Israel. Again, you take a look at anybody who has been blessed, it's been Israel. You take a look at a, a teeny tiny country like Israel that has been able to hold its own in the Middle East against some of the most powerful nations in the world. How could they do that? Because they're God's chosen people. And God's given them a special opportunity to come back to him and to repent and to confess Christ as Lord. But they continue to wait for the Messiah. Now, again, just for your uh, helpful information, understanding Jewish uh, customs and things like that, there is a group of Jews, this is really important, called Messianic Jews. Messianic Jews have confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and repented of their sins and received him 100% in the salvation he provides. Messianic Jews are Christians like you and I. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Many times they'll keep a lot of their religious customs and traditions by just for cultural reasons. The same way that you and I might eat turkey on Thanksgiving. They have their own culture that they adhere to, but they don't do it to keep the law or to be absolved from their sin, but they do it for cultural reasons and they have received Christ as Savior. So if you ever hear the term Messianic Jew, those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. But for your Orthodox Jews that are still waiting for the Messiah, they'll face God in judgment. Simple as that. Because God doesn't give you favors just because you're Jewish or because you're white. I, I had a friend uh, who emailed me, doesn't go, go to our church or anything like that, but emailed me a couple of weeks ago saying, hey, I found this guy on YouTube talking about prophecy. And I was just like red flags waving all over the place before he ever even went on. And he was talking about the, the prophecies and Daniel and how that relates to the United States. And how, you know, that happens, you know, based on our legislation and what's going on and our president and all these numbers that add up to mean something in the book of Daniel. And I said, here's the crazy thing, man. When God wrote the Bible, the United States of America was not the center of the Bible. Think about that for a second. <laughs> I've seen this before. It cracks me up. No lie. Shirts that say Jerusalem with USA in bold letters on it. It's just like... No, God's chosen people are not Americans. I know that hurts some of your hearts, especially as patriotic people, but God's chosen people are not Americans. We're not favored by God and get special favors from him because we're Americans. Now, has God blessed America? Absolutely. Has God blessed America because we historically put him first? Absolutely. But God has also cursed America when we decided we didn't need him anymore. And so again, you don't get to take the good and not take the bad. Don't take the blessings, but not the cursings. You turn your back on God, God's not obligated to you. But please don't misunderstand that you don't get special 
recognition or precedence with God just because you're American. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> Look, Jesus wasn't American, and I hate to break this to some people too. All the pictures you saw in Sunday school were wrong because Jesus isn't white either. Isn't that crazy? He was a Middle Eastern Jew. Some of you just, your head just exploded. <laughs> Jesus is not lily white with long flowing brown curls with a lamb thrown around his shoulders. Just not. Sorry. But again, this idea that God is partial to us because of where we live or who we are or what ethnicity we have just goes in opposition to the Bible. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 28, here's what it says about racism. Galatians 3, 28, kind of the end of the story with racism. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. Period. Now, again, I understand the need. For example, I went to, uh, to Malaysia two years ago and preached at the largest Baptist church in, in Malaysia. It was awesome. The first service was an English-speaking service where people from all over the world that spoke English were in that first service. It was super cool. The second service that, that I preached in was a Filipino service where it was, it was all Tagalog. These people spoke little to no English whatsoever. But it was awesome because as they're praising God and know exactly what they're saying, and I'm like, with them. And then there were, there were two other uh, ethnic groups that I'd never heard of in my life. These people spoke zero English. And it's the worst thing, like, when you, like, tell a joke through an interpreter, like, you tell a joke, and you're, like, waiting for the laugh, and then it comes, like, 30 seconds later, and you're like, oh, that, now it's not funny anymore, right? But, and, and you know me, I talk fast, and so my interpreter's just sitting here scratching his head, like, he doesn't know English really well either, and he's got some big, huge white guy from America, like, just blazing through stuff, and so... It was bad, bad, bad. But here's the thing. They had to have separate services because they didn't speak the same languages. I get that. I think a struggle with, you know, churches where we're going to have, a, a, you know, a Korean church, but they all speak English, and, but they need a, to have a Korean pastor. I don't like that. Now, let me just tell you this. If I lived somewhere else and I was going to a church, I would have no problem whatsoever as long as the church was doctrinally straight, loved Jesus, loved sinners, I put myself under any person of ethnicity. I don't care. I don't need to have a white pastor because I'm white. That's racism. That's prejudice. That's the opposite of what God expects of us. So again, I know that this is a little bit uncomfortable. And again, I believe that the things that are being brought up in America, again, are harmful and damaging to a biblical view of the way that God has created us. I don't have time tonight to get into the critical race theory and everything that's wrong with that, but it's an absolute train wreck because it wants to identify the oppressed and the oppressors by group, not by person, but by group, and then define who are the most oppressed based on intersectionality. You want to go down the rabbit hole, it's just bad, bad, bad. But what is at the forefront? What becomes our identity? What defines what group we're a part of? Race. And that's the opposite of what the Bible says. No, 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 no. We're one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor bond nor free. And the idea of bond versus free, basically, again, to this idea of partiality, is that he's, Paul's saying, hey, when we gather together for church, it's okay to worship Jesus alongside your master and your slave. It's okay. Because when it comes to, to Jesus, we don't care about any of that stuff. I was really encouraged a few years ago. We had our uh, uh, Armed Forces Appreciation Sunday, which is coming up next month. And I, every year I ask people to wear their uniform to church. And I know you wear your uniform five days a week, but if you wear six to be a blessing to your pastor, you should do it. Just putting that out there for you. And this... This guy comes to me in our church, and he's like, hey, is it okay if, I'm going to wear my uniform on Sunday, he said, but is it okay if I don't usher? And I said, why? And he goes, I don't want what I wear on my collar to influence anybody in any way, and I don't want them to feel weird by me seating them, and so I'd just rather not usher that day. And I said, do you realize that it could be perceived like, I'm this rank, so I don't have to usher today? And he's like, well, no, it's not that, it's not that. He goes, I just don't want to make anybody feel awkward. I said, I think it would actually mean more because the majority of people in our church, first of all, don't know or don't care what rank you are to be able to say, hey, this doesn't matter. I'm just here to serve Jesus with you guys. And that's the idea of bond versus free, Jew versus Greek. 
male versus female. We're just gathering together, worshiping Jesus together because that's the way that it should be. Partiality leads to prejudice. <laughs> this might blow your mind too. The idea of prejudice means that you have prejudged someone based on certain criteria. Automatically making a judgment based on the information that you have. Now again, that's our nature. I'll never forget this as long as I live. There's a couple who visited our church. I spoke with them very, very briefly before they, they, they had a, came to their first service and left, very briefly. And they left a phone number on their connection card that they had. I called them uh, that week to, to, uh, to talk to them. And um, I, I called and I said, hey, this is Pastor Anthony from Who We Call the Baptist Church. And they said, hey, how's it going? I said, good, Bill. I said, I didn't get a chance to talk to you. I said, this is actually Sally. <laughs> oh, I'm having a really bad, hard time hearing you on the other end. Uh, so I, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I have a deep voice. People do it all the time. Oh, okay. And I feel like absolute dirt. But what happened? I heard the voice on the other end, and I made a split-second decision, and I prejudged who's on the other end of the line. Now, again, prejudged based on good information that one would think. It was, it was the wrong call. But many times we prejudge people based on other things. We prejudge people on the types of clothes that they wear. We prejudge people based on how much money they have, where they work, what type of, of job they have, how many kids they have, how well behaved their kids are, how well dressed their kids are. Hey, look, my kids are a wreck. I'm just going to tell you that ahead of time. Please don't judge me for it. <laughs> Especially my youngest, who turns four this week. Oh my goodness, mess, mess, mess. But here's the thing. Prejudging someone, that doesn't help because prejudgment, prejudice is at odds with justice. And again, God calls out for justice. I can't be impartial if I'm prejudging somebody. And again, sometimes we think that we're prejudging people based on, oh, oh, they're, I'm going to prejudge them based on their race or their ethnicity or how, how much money they have. I've sometimes prejudged people the wrong way. My wife told me about a, a ladies' exercise group that she used to go to. And um, the, the, one of the ladies in their group had a shirt on that said, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And my wife said she saw the t-shirt and she was like, hey, where do you go to church? And the lady goes, why did you think I go to church? And my wife says, well, you got a Christian t-shirt on. And she was like, it is? <laughs> yeah. And she was just like, I thought it was awesome. And my wife says, it is. And she was like, no kidding, this is from the Bible? And my wife was like, yeah. And she's just like, I feel so embarrassed. My wife's like, no, it's actually really cool. And she's like, the, the lady didn't speak to me again. And it's just like, wow. And so my wife had prejudged based on the shirt that she was wearing that this woman was a Christian. Sometimes we prejudge people because they talk in spiritual terms. Oh, the worship was great today. Oh, this person must be a Christian. <laughs> might, they might not be. Oh, I, I felt the spirit at work in my life this week. That person may or may not be a Christian. You're prejudging based on information that you don't have. That's why, again, when someone used, begins to talk... <laughs> I sometimes refer to it as Christianese. You know, hey, let's get together for a fellowship, brother. Okay, you know the lingo. Hey, Bob, tell me this. Has there been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior or were born again? You talk the language, but I want to make sure that you got the heart part first. I don't want to prejudge somebody. Oh, this guy came in really well-dressed for church. He must be a Christian. Oh, that guy showed up on a Sunday night with a tie on. He's definitely a Christian. Don't prejudge anything. Oh, that guy's carrying a Bible. He's probably a Christian. That doesn't mean nothing. He could have left his Koran in his other car. Like, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so again, we have to not make any base assumptions on based on what we see, because again, that's at odds with justice. It's at odds with the character of God again. God doesn't do prejudice, Period. And again, for some people, that might take a little bit to unwind. Let me just tell you that the beautiful melting pot that is Hawaii is not immune from racism. 
Look, I have experienced racism here as a, as a white pastor. I've, I had people tell me when we were starting Hui Kala eight years ago, you're never going to make it here. And so why is that? Because local people don't want a Howley pastor. Oh, thanks. So I'm being prejudged that I'm a white dude who grew up in Kentucky that will never make it. Well, I hope the Spirit of God doesn't find out where I grew up at because he's ultimately in charge of what happens. Friends, racism is alive and well where we live. But we have the opportunity to fix the problem. Yeah, we should totally make a bunch of signs and put them out in front of our church. No, we should just preach and live the gospel. How about that? Oh, we should totally like go for a march through Waikiki and we'll make some banners and some t-shirts and make some cards to hand out about how we're the church that's anti-racism. No, we'll just be pro-Jesus and pro-sinners. How about that? That'll fix everything else. Because please understand, you can only fight one battle at a time. And so if we choose to take up the banner of racism and fight prejudice in our city, we have to drop the banner of the gospel to do that. And let me just tell you this, that if we decide to put down the banner of racism and pick up the banner of pro-life, anti-abortion, we have to drop the banner of the gospel to do that. So how about this? Crazy thoughts. Almost like Jesus knew what he was doing. He says, lift me up and I'll draw all men into myself. Preach the gospel and it will attract people to the person of Christ. And when you really get to know Jesus, racism will solve itself. Murdering unwanted children will settle itself. The social ills that plague our society will automatically rectify themselves when we place ourselves under the lordship and submission of Jesus Christ. The gospel fixes it. Final thoughts tonight. <laughs> some of you, that's your favorite phrase that I always say, right? <laughs> but some of you have been here long enough to know that I can sometimes have 10 final thoughts, right? So don't get too excited. Here's the idea. We have to see people as people that Jesus died for. People are souls that Jesus died for. This person's going to spend eternity somewhere. I invited my barber to our open house next week. She promised that she'd come. Promise. Which means if she doesn't come next Sunday, Monday, I'm going to where she works, and I'm going to say, what's up? You promised. Uh, so, but here's the thing. I, we began to talk in, when I sat down, and I told her that I was a pastor, and I invited her to church. I told her where our church is at. And we began to talk about Christianity and the Bible and her Christian walk and the things that were lacking. And I, I told her, I said, here's the thing. I give you my word that everything in your life that's messed up, if you'll come to our church and you'll jump in with both feet and get plugged in, I have the answer for everything that ails you. And she goes, it sounds so easy. It is. Because Jesus resolves everything. And I saw my barber as somebody that Jesus died for. I see the person across the street as somebody that Jesus died for. I see the person who frustrates me to no end as somebody that Jesus died for. And that removes any partiality because I realize they're a sinner in need of the same grace that I received. Next, we need to see ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. I was talking to one of our men this afternoon and he said, that, man, these kids in super church are super smart. I mean, these kids know their stuff. Like, they know, like, good answers and stuff like that. He obviously wasn't talking about my daughter, Tallulah. Tallulah came home from, from Super Church today. Father Abraham had zero sons, and zero sons had Father Abraham. No, he had many sons. No, he didn't. He had zero. No, he didn't. <laughs> Father Abraham had, first of all, Isaac, and then he had many nations after him. She's like, uh-uh, he had zero sons. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm arguing theology with a four-year-old. She's not even four yet. She's three. So he wasn't talking about my kid when he said these kids are smart. But here's what he said. He said, these kids are learning so much. They know so much about the Bible. They know what to do with it. I said, here's the, the great danger is that their parents know it too, but they're not doing it. And I said, kids are really easy, at are really good at sniffing out duplicity. And if they, they get a whiff of hypocrisy in you, Man, that could ruin them for the rest of their lives. I can't tell you how many people who've come to our church who've been away from Jesus for decades because of hypocrites. So understand that you and I, everywhere we go, we're ambassadors for Christ. And the idea of being an ambassador is that this world is not our home. 
were actually sent from foreign land on behalf of a foreign king to a foreign land to bring them and endear them to our nation, our king, Jesus Christ. Next, we need to be quick to repent of pride. When we've been prejudiced, when we've judged people unfairly, we need to repent of that. And I'm just going to say this, and I want to be ridiculously clear tonight. If there's a shred of racism in your heart tonight, you need to repent of it. Ask God to change your heart, change your mind, change your vocabulary. And I'm going to tell you this, if you're not willing to do that, you need to leave. Period. You say, well, you can't do that. Read the Bible, Matthew chapter 18. If you're not willing to repent of your sin, you need to find another church where we're going to treat you like an unbeliever. Because that spirit is anti-Christ through and through. And look again, I'm willing to help anybody who wants to fix what's broken, but if you say, I don't want to fix it, you're not welcome here. I know that's harsh, but the gospel solves racism. And if you're anti-gospel, you're anti-Jesus, you're anti-everything we're trying to do here. Next, we have to be quick to give grace to others because we have received God's grace. Man, the song we, we heard Sunday night, but I want to reach out for people the same way that God reached out for me. I'd never heard that song before like two weeks ago. <laughs> and it's funny because I grabbed Tuba. Tuba, Kenley's going to sing a song. I need you to learn it. He's like, okay. And like Tuba's up here on a Friday night like jamming out. And I was just like, dude, you're awesome. But here's the thing. I, I heard that line. Give me a heart to reach out for people the way that God reached out for me. Oh, man, that hit me. And I want to be quick to give grace to people because God's been so gracious to me. And again, this extends to uh, my parenting. My nature is justice because God is just. My, my nature is God has standards and when you break them, you're in danger of God's wrath. And the problem is, is that carried over into my parenting for a while. And the fact that you broke the rules, you'll pay the price. But I realized when I did that that I didn't teach my children about God's grace and God's mercy. I didn't say to them, hey, look, you've broken the rules and you deserve X, but I'm not going to give it to you because I'm going to give you some grace. But please understand my grace will not go on forever and my judgment is coming. Don't let this happen again. Why? Because I wanted to give grace because I want grace. I just don't want to give it. All of us want, you know, the meter maid to come by our parking meter and skip our car because they're being gracious. All of us want grace. Let's give grace. Look, if we, if we see somebody come in that is sitting by themselves, we should go up to them regardless of who they are and say, hey, would you like to sit with us? I see you're, sitting by, I see you're here by yourself tonight. Would you come sit with us? I try to explain to people that who we call is a family. And some people are like, well, that's kind of weird because I'm single. No, no, no. You're, you're part of a family. Like, it's not like we're a family church, like everybody has families. We are one big family. And what makes us that? Jesus Christ us. And so, again, we got to give grace because we've received grace. And we need to be a conduit of God's grace. As I receive God's grace, I want to give God's grace to others. As I receive God's blessings, I want to give God's blessings to others. As God does things for me that he's not for other people, I want to do things for other people that other people aren't doing for other people. I just want, I want to be gracious. I have a friend who's a pastor, and I would say this guy's a pushover. Like, I have, I have two really good pastor friends in my life, Pastor Chris Chadwick and Pastor Stephen Chappell. Pastor Chris Chadwick is like a rabid dog, like let off the chain, right? Just, and those of you who have met him, just like, this guy's next level. And my other friend is Stephen Chappell, who also pastors in, in Oceanside, California. They're, they pastor about 30 minutes apart. And the guys couldn't be more opposite in personality. And I would say that if, if Steve is the rabid dog, or if, if Chris is the rabid dog, Steve is like that one dog breed that doesn't bark because he doesn't have a voice. He, he's just super, super chill, super cool. And like, I want what he has because I don't have it. And there, there's times where he and I have discussions. I'd be like, dude, I would never let that fly. And here's what he says. Well, maybe I'll get to heaven one day and God will just tell me that I was a little bit too gracious. And it's just like, oh, my soul. And then I'm convicted because I'm not gracious enough. And 
It's like, oh, I hate hearing stuff like that because it makes me feel like I'm not gracious, but I want to be gracious. So let's just give grace this week. How about that? Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, please don't leave here tonight without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home because that's the only thing that matters in this life and the next is knowing for sure that you're saved. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.